0: Thank you for tuning in to the Preaching Workshop podcast. This is The Psalms and Our Hearts, Counseling Insights from the Psalms by Sammy Jones. And we appreciate you tuning in. This is from 2021. Did I turn it on? Okay, great. And I was just saying, you know, after Jordan this morning and and Justin, you know, we're so far up, it's time to come down on the ground. Uh, Justin is just such an outstanding student of God's Word uh, that every time I, I hear him, I'm just amazed and, of his depth of the knowledge of, the, of God's Word. And Jordan, that's the first time that I had an opportunity to hear him. And, and there, God has just blessed these two guys uh, with such great wealth of the Old Testament. And I'm not an Old Testament guy or a New Testament guy. I'm just Sam Jones. And I see several individuals out in the audience that I I had as a student at Freed Hartman University, Uh, when I taught there, uh, I I do owe you some money. Uh, You probably want to be refunded for some of the things you learned in my class, but but that's okay. Some of you owe me some money for the grade that you (laughs) received. But it's a joy, it's a joy to be here. Uh, Life is different. Life is different. Uh, I've got a funeral to do tomorrow. I've got one to do Wednesday. I can't tell you in the last year how many I've done. When Andrew called and was then an invitation to speak, my first impulse was say no. But then he told me we're going to be dealing with counseling from the book of Psalms. Wanted to say no, but I said yes. And I was telling him a few moments ago that in the past year, I don't think I preached a doctrinal sermon. My sermons have been counseling from the pulpit. It's because where I'm preaching, the people to whom I'm preaching, they're hurting they're hurting, and so I said yes, and I hope that what I'm going to share with you will be beneficial, and I truly want to say to Andrew, thanks for the invitation to the leadership for planning this workshop for us preachers to help us to better equip ourselves to to minister to our congregations. Let me share with you that the topic that's been assigned to me is counseling insights Uh, from Psalms. Now, the Book of Psalms, and I'm going to go through this and a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be in the PowerPoint uh, there, but uh, the Book of Psalms is one of the greatest, in my opinion, psalms and prayers and poetry ever written. As Justin said this morning, it was written over a span of of 1,000 years. Uh, As you know, most of you are scholars of the Old Testament that this book was written by numerous writers. Half of the Psalms were written by David, and others were written by others. Uh, Ezra is one not mentioned there. He wrote as well as a list of other individuals. The Psalms uh, provide numerous insights for church members on how to cope with some adversities in life. And particularly the one that's there is COVID 19, death. I'm going to share with you a psalm that five years ago, if it had not been for that psalm, I don't know if I would be standing here talking to you this afternoon. You see, when you're planning to do great things in God's kingdom, I just concluded a meeting in Washington, D.C., a marriage seminar. And on my way home, my my wife started hurting. Severe pain. We got her to Vanderbilt and we thought it was lupus. And it wasn't lupus, it was cancer. The doctors told her she had three months to live. We had just made the decision driving home that I was going to retire from Freed Harbor University and that we were going to spend our time going to small churches that are 20 or less, edify these churches, use my retirement my, my retirement money there from Freed to preach the gospel to churches and plant a seed and then move on for the next few years and then find out my companions got three months to live. How do you preach? How do you preach? How do you preach? But then God in his providence led me to the Swedish lady Diane and blessed me. And so three years ago we decided that in a few years that we're going to fulfill my dream. And that is to work with small congregations and then COVID hits. Dreams can be broken, but you don't stop dreaming. And that's what you find in the book of Psalms. Psalm is filled with insights on how to handle adversities in life. And every Sunday, You're standing before individuals. Some are stronger than others, but they're facing adversities in life. What can you do? And so church members at one time or the other, they're going to face one or more of those adversities, some at the same time. And so the question for us this this afternoon is, what insights can be deducted from the Psalms? What can we deduct from the Psalms to help our members cope with their adversities? What can we deduct from the Psalms that help them to deal with whatever they're dealing with? And so I'm going to use for my definition of coping, it is a definition that I found in the book called, uh, written by Lazarus and Folkman, in a book that they published back in 1984. And their definition of coping is this, constantly changing cognitive and behavior efforts. That in order to change your behavior, we've got to change the way members think. You're all familiar with Proverbs 23, verse 7? As a man, what? And so if you want to change members' behavior. You got to change the way to think, and there are members who are going through behavioral problems. They're going through emotional problems, and how you're going to change that is that you got to change their way of thinking, and that's coping. It's helping people to cope with by changing the way people think because there are external and internal things that's going on, and people have limited resources. Some have more resources uh, than others to deal with those. And so what I wanna do is is to share with you some insights that help members cope with whatever they're going through. And so from this definition, there are three ideas about coping that comes to mind. First, coping involves church members spending mental energy, energy in a way that can reduce stress. Again, you got to get people to thinking, what can I take from God's word to help reduce my level of stress? That's what coping is. How can we take the greatest book ever written and give people some ammunition, some mental capability that they can reduce stress that's going on in their lives? The second is coping involves solving problems, solving problems that bring about homeostasis. What is homostasis? Bring about balance and peace in your life. You ever been on balance? And so the Bible can be used to bring back balance in their lives. And then, coping is realizing that there are some members that this had not affected at all. But then there are some members that are terrified. Members thinking they're going to die this week. And so, coping is helping individuals and the book of psalms in my opinion is is a great book on helping people to cope with adversities in their lives so let us consider several psalms several psalms and and suggest some ideas for you as preachers that you can propose to your members to help them to cope with their adversities now here here's my goal The goal of this presentation is to recommend several insights from selected psalms to equip church members uh, to cope with their adversities. Now, I'm going to use, I can go ahead and tell you now, if God permits, if time permits, uh, if I don't run out of time, I want to share with you seven psalms, seven psalms that we can use that I would encourage you to practice utilizing, helping your members to deal with the things that they're going to be dealing with. And so that's my goal. Now, to achieve my goal, my objective is to share with you the historical setting. You need to understand the historical settings of these psalms and then make the practical application of these psalms. All right? Are you with me? Still following me? So there are some, of the 150 psalms, in in the Bible, there's some 70 of them that are extremely useful. Now all of them are, are not as useful as the others, but you can preach for the next six to eight months every Sunday from the book of Psalms and never cover the same thing, okay? That's how much information is there in helping people deal with the adversities and the challenges that they are facing, okay? I'm sorry, I got remember, I got to stand still. Okay, so, so that's my goal and the objective. So let's start with insight number one, and that is learn to trust in God. Learn to trust in God. Turn to Psalms 11. I'm going to start with this psalm because this is the psalm that made the difference in my life six years ago. It's been six years. Six years ago when my wife died, I didn't know that if I would ever preach again. But Psalms 11 made a difference in my life. David, life is filled with fear. David, life is filled with fear. And someone posed the question to David, what can the righteous do when they're, Foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? When people are faced with adversities? what can the righteous do? Well, for this lesson, is what can church members do when their world has been turned upside down with financial devastation? Suppose you have a job and your job, you're making $110,000 a year and all of a sudden that job is no longer there. Suppose you have a person who's dying of terminal illness. Suppose you have someone who's having addiction to drugs. What do you do? Suppose your son comes to you and tells you, dad, I'm homosexual. And we can go on and on and on. What can the righteous do? Well, David, who I believe to be the author of this psalm, says in verse 1. If you go back and look at verse 1, this is what David said. He said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And then when my, and that's what we need to encourage our members to learn how to do. And that is the trust in the Lord. So that when an adversity comes, then they're prepared for, if it had not been for my faith, if it had not been for me prior to Rhonda's death, developing a strong faith in God, I really don't think I would still be here preaching today. And so what we've got to do with our members is to help them to trust in the Lord. And trusting in the Lord is more than just believing the Lord. But it's having action, showing people your faith. Remember, James says in James 2, and verse 26, faith without works is what? It's dead. So it's not only having faith, but it's having walking faith. It's having faith in all that stuff that you've been hearing over the years and studying over the years. You're practicing it now. I remember when the doctor told Rhonda she had three months to live. I couldn't say a word. But you know what? Rhonda said something that, sh- that just gave me the strength. She said, "Sammy." She said, if we can't make it through this, We've been living a lot. Here I was trying to think of what to say to her to strengthen her, and she lifted me. Sammy, if our faith can't get us through this, we've been living a lie. Hey, man, I got up. And, hey, let's go, baby. We're going to make it through this. Call M. D. Anderson, Trying to get all the... And, and they immediately accepted my phone call. We sent all her test results out there and within 12 hours, they got back with me. and said, Mr. Jones, there's absolutely nothing we can do. Her body was lit up like a Christmas tree. Cancer was completely covered. Her body, there's absolutely nothing we can do. But trusting the Lord enables you and your children. How do you go and explain to your children they, they need to learn to trust in God. And there are people out in our pews, they need to understand the importance. What can we do when our world is turned upside down? And that is we trust in the Lord. Church members need to understand. And David said he was able to, to continue to trust in God because he understood God's promises. God cannot what? Lie. Titus 1 verse 2. That we serve a God with with unlimited abilities. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Our God, there's nothing that he cannot do. He's able to do beyond our ability to comprehend. There's absolutely nothing God cannot do. And that's what trusting in God is all about. How do you make it through whatever you're going through is that we have to encourage members to work on developing their faith And trusting in God. So trusting in God is a key feature in the book of Psalms. Some 35 times or more, there are verses in the book of Psalms that encourages us to do what? Trust in the Lord. David understood that importance. How do you make it through things that you're going through? You learn to trust in God. And so over and over and over, David emphasizes the importance of trusting in God. Let's look at one. Turn to Psalms 37. Well, I'll put it up there. Psalms 37, look at verse 5. One of the many Psalms that we can look at, listen to what David says. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And if you trust in God, he will do what? He shall bring it to pass. He'll help you deal with whatever you're going through. If not, if he doesn't remove it like he didn't remove Paul's thorn in the flesh, he'll give you the strength to make it through what you're going through. So the first insight is that we need to learn to trust in the Lord. And that's what Psalms 11. And and you can preach a a, a whole week, a a month on, on just Psalms 11. Let's go to our second insight. Go to Psalms number eight. Go to Psalms eight. It is not enough that our members understand the importance of trusting in God. In Psalms eight, it tells us about God, that the God we serve is what kind of God? He's an awesome God, an awesome God. So in Psalms eight, this psalm is believed to be written by David, a someone who has who has experienced a, a, a series of challenges in his life and has come to understand the God we serve. Now, in Psalms 8, I want you to picture in your mind, David is an older man at the time he penned this song. And he's looking back in his childhood. You remember David was a what? A shepherd. And you gotta remember one night while he's out tending the sheep. The sky is clear. And he can see the stars and the moon, the galaxies, And he's reflecting back at this moment. And he comes to an understanding of who God is. That's what enabled David to keep going is that he has an understanding of the awesome God that he serves. And so the Psalms open up with an exclamation and a proposition. Let's first look at the exclamation. He says, "O Lord, O Lord, O Lord, our Lord." In other words, what David is saying, the God that we serve is not just any God. The God that we serve is Yahweh. The God that we serve is Jehovah, the God that we serve. It's El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, the God that we serve. There's absolutely nothing this God cannot do. He's the Creator. You see, David opens his Psalms, and our members need to understand that God we serve is not like Muhammad. The God that we serve is not like Buddha. The God that we serve is the God that existed before there was a Buddha or Muhammad or the stars or the moon. And that's what David opens up with. Who am I going to tell Pharaoh? Moses want to know. Who do I tell him sent me? Tell him I am. Tell him Jehovah. Tell him I am. I am, said, let my people go. Our people need to know if they're going to make it through life's adversities. It's not enough to trust in God, they need to know the power of the God that we serve. And so David opens up with this exclamation, then he goes to the proposition. And that verse by saying, how excellent, how wonderful, how majestic. How awesome is the God that I serve. That's who, in the past six years, my faith in God has, I didn't think it could grow any. My faith in God has just grown tremendously by leaps and bounds. I have a closer knowledge in relationship with God, I think at this moment in my life than I've ever had in my life because of the Psalms, because they've helped me to get a deeper appreciation and knowledge of the God that I serve. That I'm not afraid, as I was sharing with them, to go into the hospital as I've had to people who are dying of COVID and hold their hands. When they take their last breath, double mask, gloves on, outfit, but are not afraid to go there because I know my God is able to make a way for me to minister to these individuals. David knows who God is, and now that he tells us who God is. He says, "Now let me tell you some reasons why he's such an awesome God." In Psalms 8, he says, Sammy, let me tell you why God is such an awesome God. Look at verse 2. He's awesome because of his strength and power over his enemies. If you read Matthew chapter 21, verse 15 and 16, you know that Jesus quotes this as he triumphs into the city of Jerusalem. And he wants these Pharisee leaders to know that he and his father, they're awesome. And they don't need men. They don't need military. God doesn't need men to show his power. God can show his power in the most unusual way through babies and infants. God is an awesome God because of his great power. Our people need to know this. You wanna see God's power? And in the most unusual way, Genesis, I mean Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. God uses a baby, Moses. Remember that baby born that grew up, and now he's standing before the Red Sea, and he tells the people, stand still, and today you're going to see the awesome power of God. God brought forth Moses, a baby and he brought Pharaoh down. That's how awesome our God is. How awesome is our God? New Testament. Satan deceived God's people, caused Adam and Eve to sin, but God sent forth a baby, Jesus. What did Jesus do? He won victory over death. Now we're going to live again. Thank be to God through the baby Jesus. But what well, he didn't stop there. Revelation 20. And verse 1 and 2. He shackled Satan. Satan can't make me do anything now. Because greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Satan can't cause us to do. He can't make me do a thing. He can, he can entice me. But he has limited power because greater is he who's in me. That's how awesome, that's what David brings out in Psalms 8 that our people need to know. But that's the second reason he's awesome. In verses 3 and 4, he's awesome because of his unfathomable love. God has amazing love, uncomprehensible love for his people. In the psalmist, someone raised a question, David, you got to remember, David is out, and he's reflecting in his childhood, night when the sky is clear, and you see the galaxy, the moon, and he said, God, you created this great universe, but what is man?" Why do you care so much for this little peon down here? Man who is so insignificant to this grass universe. And God thinks more of us than this universe. God loves us. That's what our people need to understand. And he'll never stop loving us, Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's what David understood about God. But he developed this and he writes in the book in Psalms 8 that our God is an awesome God. But there's a third reason he's awesome, because of his grace and his mercy. God created man, but man sinned. And that changed God. God wanted man to rule over the universe, but now the, the universe is ruling over man. That's not what God planned. God created us to live forever, and now we're subject to death. But you know what? God's a merciful God. And then we see the Hebrew writer. In Hebrews chapter two, verses five through nine, he quotes Psalms eight and in Psalm and, and, and he says in Hebrews chapter five and verse th- five through nine that God, in this prophetic way, God had a plan that one day he's going to restore man to the glory that he once had. And this is going to be made possible through his son, Jesus, because he's going to do something. He's going to taste death for every man. He's going to make it possible for us to get forgiveness. We're going to mess up. But then God not only forgives us, but then he gives us grace. There's not a one of us that deserves heaven, but God gives us what we don't deserve. That's what people need to understand. If God loves us that much, he's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us when we're going through adversities in life. So we need to trust him. But then there's a third insight. and I'm going to have to move on if I'm going to cover half of what I want to cover. And that is they need to learn to hold on because daylight's coming. Go to Psalms 30. Go to Psalms 30. Hold on. Daylight is coming. You see, it's not enough to trust in God. It's not enough to know that our God is awesome. In Psalms 30, David has gone through a period of prolonged darkness. Have you ever gone through a period of prolonged darkness? There are members now who've gone through prolonged darkness. But they need to understand God allows things to happen in our lives. It's my opinion. I don't believe God Sent COVID. I believe God allowed it to come. But I'm one of those that I don't believe that this is the work of God. But God allowed it to come into the world and to our lives. When is God going to remove it? When he gets ready. When he gets ready. And David understood something about prolonged darkness. Now look at verse 5 of Psalms 30. You see, verse 5 is the key to Psalms 30. And that is, weeping may endure for a night. God may allow his children to go through a period of prolonged darkness. But that conjunction is there for a reason. But joy, what? Comes in the morning. Daylight. If that's a sermon they need this Sunday, this daylight is coming. Daylight is coming. Just got to hold on. That's what David understood. Daylight is coming and people need to just the energy. Give me something, Brother Jones, to help me hold out. Give me something to help me hold out because there are too many that are quitting, giving up because they were not ready to have their faith shaken, to have their world turn upside down. And there are people who are giving up their faith in God. We've got to plead with them, beg them to hold on. When they've seen their mother die, when they've seen their brother die of COVID and And it's all around us. People are terrified of coming to church building. Got to hold on. Now look at verse 11 and verse 12. In verses 11 and 12, because David understood the importance of holding on, of patience. Look at the results. When I read those two verses, they just make me smile. Here's a man jumping up and down with joy. You ever been down? And then you get some good news? Tell you right now. Andrew, don't, don't, just an example. If I was going to announce to you, Andrew, I'm gonna give you a check for $2 million. Keep dreaming now. Now, if you, I don't know, Andrew is probably one of those well-paid preachers. See, I'm one of those that never been paid well. Somebody say, I'm going to give you $2 million. Hey, I'm jumping up and down for joy. That's about equivalent to what goes on in David's life now. He's been down. He's been running from his son. He's been living in a cave. He's been running from Saul. He's been now. The the gloom is gone. One day we're going to have corporate worship again. But well, one day we're going to be able to embrace, I'm a hugging preacher. And I haven't hugged my members in a year. Hold on, daylight's coming. That's what the psalmist tells us in, verse 30, in, chapter, in Psalms 30. Of the importance of patience, waiting on God. How long did Abraham have to wait before he had Isaac? 25 years. How long did Joseph have to wait? You remember his brother Solon when he was 17 years old? And for 13 years, he lived in the pit of slavery and servanthood before he became prime minister at age 30. Sometimes we go through things, but we just got to run to what? Wait. On God. Look at these two verses Psalms 37, verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Members need to hear that. If David, if God can bring David through his adversities, what made David so special? Psalms 27 14 wait on the Lord be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart just gotta wait just gotta wait on him let's go to our next one fourth one I think I'm gonna have time for a few more and we'll go wrap up remember our God will never abandon us go to Psalms 37 Remember, our God will never abandon us. And Psalms 37 is believed to have been written in the latter season of Paul's or David's life. It grapples with the issue of why do the unrighteous prosper? And so David has been wrestling with this. Why do the unrighteous prosper and the righteous experience Adversities, God and David, there there are things that will occur in life that we don't understand. Why? 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 If you read the book of Psalms, why is a question that the psalmist asked a dozen times. I started to put them up there, the whys in the book of Psalms. Why? Why? You know, there's some things we don't know why. And there's nothing wrong with us as preachers saying, I don't know why. Things happen. Why? I don't know. But I'm going to trust in God. But God gives us an assurance. You know what a guarantee is? That's what we have. here. When you go buy a car, You're concerned about the price of it, but more important, the price, you're concerned about what? Warranty. You'll buy appliances. Warranty. We have a warranty from God. You know what? This warranty is not for six months. This warranty is not for six years. It's a lifetime warranty. And our members need to understand that we have a lifetime warranty from God. What is that lifetime warranty? I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. Look at verse 25. Oh, one of my favorites. David says, Sammy, I've been young and now I'm old. But I what? You can complete it. I've never what? Seen the righteous, forsaken or his seed begging bread. God will never abandon us, then promise us he would never allow us to go through some things. But we have a guarantee from God that he will never, ever, never, ever abandon us. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't it help you to keep going through what you're going through? Is it know that you're not alone? You know what one of Satan's most effective tools in defeating our Christians, our members, is to get them to think they're all alone. Remember Elijah? Man, Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he withstood 450 of Baal's prophets. You would think the man would be on cloud nine. But you go to 1 Kings 19 verse 4. He's sitting up on the broom tree. Oh, Lord, I wish I was dead. Why Why was I ever born? You know why? A woman's after him. Jezebel. Our members can be up here today and down here tomorrow if they lose sight of the guarantee that God has given us. God has given us a guarantee. That he will never ever abandon us. He will never ever forsake us. Go to Joshua chapter 1. You're familiar with it. Joshua 1, verse 5. God speaks through Moses to Joshua, and he tells him something that our members need to hear. Moses tells Joshua what I told you. I was with you, Moses. And I want you to tell Joshua, as I was with you, I'm going to be with him. Our members need to understand that. That God doesn't have any picks in the church. God doesn't have any favorites in the church. God is going to be with us. And you know what? There's nothing that can separate us from God's presence with us. God keeps showering us with goodness. You remember Romans 2 and verse 4? That God showers us with grace and mercy and goodness every day even when we don't deserve it. Why? To bring us to repentance. To cause us to straighten up and stop doubting God. Before we close, I want to mention this one here. Look at Psalms 27 verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. It goes back to the first insight. I trust in the Lord. Even though my family members may forsake me, I trust in the Lord. He's not going to abandon me. I'm going to make it through what I'm going through. Psalms 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. He doesn't forsake his saints. God's not going to abandon us. And before we go to the next one, and I think I have time for one more. Go to Hebrews 13. We'll close with that one. Okay. No, there won't be any questions. <laughs> okay, well, we'll take my time then. Hebrews 13, verse five is a guarantee from God. I will never, Sammy, be not alone, Sam. I remember the night, November the 28th, 415, when Rhonda took her last breath. You know, even though my boys were there and we were hugging each other, I wasn't where I am now. I felt so alone. I felt so alone. It took me time, some time to get my faith back up. And if it can happen to us, what about our members right now with what they're going through? And what we've got to do as ministers, we've got to try to put ourselves in their shoes. How can I help them? Maybe. How can I help them? Yes, we can get up there and, and preach the best expository and all, uh, great sermon. Great. No problem with that. But am I ministering to them, helping them to deal with things? Let's go to the next one, Psalms 119. Oh, this is a long one. But it helps us understand we can find comfort in God's word. We can find comfort in God's word. We're not sure as who is the, the author of this psalm's it's believed that whoever the author is, that is a person who had a great knowledge of God's power. And therefore, two men have been speculated as possible, the authors, Ezra and David. I, I don't mind going on. Either one of those two men would be great men. But when I read it, and I read it, and I look at the verse. It sounds too much like David. But I'm not sure. But for my study, I give it to David. David, verse 9, it is the, the, the thrust of Psalms 119 is in verse 9. What can a young man do to equip himself to serve God faithfully? That's what it's dealing with. What can a young man do to equip himself to live pleasing to God. So let's change that. What can our members do? To live pleasing to God as they cope with their adversities. What can we glean? What can we deduct from Psalms 119? As our members strive to live pleasing to God, when their faith has been tested from left and right, internal, external, what can we glean from this psalms to help them? Well, you already know that the psalms deals with the word of God, the power of God's word. And there are at least eight words that, deal, that talks about God's word. But what are some of the things? I want to share with you three things. If I had time, I could share with you probably 19 out of this. But just to give you a A glimpse of it. This is what the psalmist said. Sam, this is what I'm resolved to do. Because I understand the power of God's word. You see, we need to encourage members to study, to stay in the book. You got to know the book. You got to know God's because that's how God communicates with us. Look in Psalms 119. Look at verse 15. He says, this is the first thing I'm resolved to do, Sam. And that is to meditate on God's word and works. Read the Bible. And it tells you about who God is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's El Shaddai. He's all powerful. There's absolutely nothing he cannot do. Yes, Sarah laughed. When she heard that, God told him th- uh, that she was going to have a child. And God turned to Sarah and said, Is there anything too hard for Jehovah God? For El Shaddai? Is there anything El Shaddai cannot do? Nothing. There's nothing too hard for God. Meditate on that. His works. God can take nothing and make something. Men can take something and make something, but who can take nothing and make something? God. And if he can do that, what I'm going through right now, he can bring me through that. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to wait. Daylight is coming. Because my faith is not in myself or my abilities, It's in God. Second thing you're going to do, You're going to cultivate. Look at verse 16. You're going to cultivate a love for God's word. He used the word delight. Delight. It's not enough to meditate on God's word. You got to find delight. You got to love it. When I was a student at Freed Hardeman, one of the preachers, the teachers there that you know everybody had a teacher that they would be drawn to. There were those that, uh, but the one that I gravitated to was Tom Holland. Oh, I just wanted to preach like Tom. If I could just get up and f- 10% of his ability, then I would be something. To care for people like Tom cared for people. That's how we're to be God it. When I was 16 years old, I was hit with my first tragedy in life, and that is that I decided I wanted to be a preacher, and the one person I was going to convert was my older brother, Billy. Billy was a drug, he didn't, he wasn't in pharmaceutical. He was a drug pusher. Seven years older than me, twenty-four years old, twenty-three at the time. He borrowed my car to go play basketball at the at a place. Tell you the story because on Wednesday night, I'd gotten Billy to stop selling drugs, and he was going to church with. Wednesday night, August the 28th, 1974. He said, Sammy, I want you to baptize me Sunday. I'm gonna have my first convert. That was Wednesday. He went to play basketball on Friday night. A man we call Mew came down with a rebound, slung around and hit Billy in the head. Put a gash there. When he came to pick me up, I noticed the gash on the side of his head. I said, Billy, what happened? He said, like, oh, Mew hit me with an elbow, and oh, I'll be all right. I dropped him off to his wife and the little girl, and she was expecting, his wife was expecting a second child. That was at 10.30. At 2 a.m., we got a phone call. She can't wake Billy up. At 4 a.m. he was pronounced brain dead. I didn't get to baptize my brother. I remember running out of the hospital, mad at God, as I've ever been mad. Getting in my car, driving up Gloucester Street in Tupelo, Mississippi determined to kill anybody who gets in my way because I was mad at God. I said, I'm never preaching. I'm not going to preach this God. This God would take my brother. There's no way I'm going to preach. But my grandmother had given me a Bible that she couldn't even afford when young men were going through our community selling old Dickerson Bible for $55. But she wanted her grandson and she brought this Bible for me. And at that moment in my life when I didn't think I had a friend is when I started reading the Bible. And behold, the Psalms brought me peace. It took me a year Because I quit the church for a year. But the Psalms brought me peace. God gave us this wonderful, even though it was not in a book form, these Psalms for a reason. And I believe that we can take them and help people to deal with things that they're going through. But we gotta love the word of God. I fell in love with the word. I can't tell you how many times I've read it through because I love it. We've got to teach our members to love it. The third thing, we move on. Refuse, look at verse number 20, 30, 32. Refuse to quit running. Refuse to quit running. And that's what the psalmist says, he's, he's, he's not going to quit. Why? Because he wants to give God his very best. God deserves our, the very best that we can offer him. And that's what the psalmist says there. The word of God encouraged him to keep going. Remember Jeremiah? When his family and friends, everybody turned their back on him and Jeremiah said, I'm through, Sammy. I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm through preaching. I'm not going to preach anymore. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. and Then he said the word of God was what? so sharp in my bone. The word of God was like fire burning in me, even when I didn't want to preach it, I couldn't help it, Sammy. That's the way the word is in me. That's the way the word needs to be in our members, that they don't quit. Let's close this one, go to our next one. Well, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. You're familiar with the text, perhaps every one of us in here can quote it. Be what? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much you know, your work is not in vain. Let's go to number six. The favorite Psalms, 23, is often referred to the, to the Pearl of the Psalms. It seemed to be based on a recollection of David's early shepherd years. And David, in this psalm, acknowledge who the Lord is, his shepherd, his shepherd. And, and what he is saying in this psalm, uh, I have so much confidence in, in my shepherd, Sammy. I, I'm not going to worry about anything because I have so much confidence, assurance in my shepherd. I want to play on a word assurance i want to play on a word confidence because learn not to doubt god there are members and i'm going to speed up i know because there are members in our congregation who are wrestling with a mixture of what i call faith and doubt If there's one thing that I would say that most members are experiencing right now is a mixture of faith and doubt. There are members in a church where you preach because I know where I preach. They have been in the church for 40, 50 years. And they're wrestling with doubt. We need to help them understand that's not where God wants them to stay. James 1, verse 6. James wants tells us that what God's wish is for us is to increase our faith. And by increasing our faith, we what? Lessen our doubts. doesn't mean we're never going to doubt. If the truth was told, there are some preachers in here right now in the last six months, you've been doubting some things. But we're ashamed to admit it because we think that we're not supposed to doubt. But there are some members in your congregation who are doubting, who are wrestling with it. Listen to what the psalmist says because of his confidence in the shepherd. Look in Psalms 27, verse 4. Yea, though I walk, you know it, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I'm not afraid. Now, he didn't get that way overnight. And some of our members need us to help them to increase their faith. Go to Jude. ESV does an excellent job. If you've got the new King James that I preach out of, or the King James, it doesn't do any justice to Jude 1, verse 22. Read it from the King James or the New King James, and you read it and you say, what in the world is Jude talking about? But when you look at the ESV, which I believe gives a better translation of Jude 1, look at what it says. And have mercy on those who doubt. Did you you catch that? And the church, we're not supposed to doubt. And the church, we're not supposed to say we have a level of doubt. Our faith is supposed to be up here. And if you're doubting, that means you don't have, you're not where you ought to be. got to take you out behind the building and spank you. That old saying. You're abnormal. And people who are doubting, they don't want to admit it. Because we treat them like they're third-class citizens. But Jude says, "Have mercy." Preachers, have compassion on those in your congregation who are doubting. And that's what Psalms 23. That when you analyze it, it's how you have confidence, and when things curve your life, you don't doubt. Go to Mark 9. I don't have time to read that story. You're familiar with About this dad with a son. Possessed with a demon. But I want you to just look at verse 23 and 24. He says, the father says to Jesus, if, verse 22, if you can do anything, have compassion. Notice and didn't say on, on him, on my son. Have compassion on us. I don't know how much more we can take, Jesus. I've watched my son. I don't know how many years he's been possessed with a demon. Have compassion. I'm a dad to see my child suffer. I don't know how much more I can take. Jesus states to the father, why did you say if you can? All things are possible. To him who believes. But then the father immediately in verse 24. Immediately the father says these words. I believe. I believe Jesus. But help me to stop doubting. That's what he's saying. That's what we need to do. Our members help them to stop doubting. That's what Psalms 23 is about, helping people to stop doubting because of the awesome God that we serve. Finally, number seven. Oh, y'all thought I'd never get there. Psalms 138 will end with this one. And like I said, I had 15. I knew I couldn't get through that. So I selected my, the one that I thought would be the best. David is resolved to praise God. And throughout this song, he's talking about praising God. In the midst of all that's going on in his life, we, we are, I'm going to praise God. And that's what our members need to understand. This is not a time not to praise God, to worship God. This is a time to want to praise God. And David, surrounded by his enemies, who feel protected by their gods, But David wants to, in the midst, when you read that beautiful psalm, he wants to show his enemies how powerful his God is. And he's resolved that I'm going to praise God. I want people to know the God that I serve is giving me joy. My daylight has come, and so I'm going to praise God. And that's what he says in verse 2. Because of his loving kindness, his faithfulness, I will sing praises to you, God. God, you've been so good to me. You see, you can't sing, you can't understand this psalm until you've been knocked down. Until you walked in my shoes. Until you see your oldest brother die. Until you have a spouse to die in your arms. And it's gonna, you thought it was gonna be your companion with you for many years. And he brings you through that. And he puts someone else in your life that gives you joy, that makes you want to live again. Until you have experienced that, and David's been through that, you don't understand Psalms 28. And see, when you've been there, you just want to praise God. You want to praise God. And that's what David says here. I just want to praise God. That's another... And throughout the Psalms over and over and over again talks about praising God I'm going to close with something go to Psalms 73 Psalms 73 I want you to see something here because there are a lot of things that go on in life we don't understand why why God here's one of those again why why God why why, God? Why? And that's what your members are crying out when they come. Help me understand, Sammy. why? And we need to encourage them, don't forsake the assembly. Don't forsake praising God. Come to worship. If you can't get here, live streaming. Sunday is the Lord's day. COVID can't take that away. And when you come to praise God and you study God and you be in his presence, there are things you don't understand why this is going on. And David couldn't understand, the psalmist couldn't understand the psalmist here. But I want you to look at a verse and I'm closing. Look at verse 17. Do you see it? Until I went into the sanctuary. Until I went to praise God. I I didn't understand. I didn't understand until he went in a moment of praising God. Praising God will help you to understand some things going on in your life. But it helps you to give you the reassurance that God is going to be with you. Is that not what that says in verse 17? Until, until I went into the sanctuary. Well, these are seven beautiful psalms that insightful counseling insights can be deducted. And I hope that these have been in some way beneficial to you. I don't know if they helped any of you, but they have over the last past year. They have strengthened my faith. And I'm thankful to be able to share these with you on this afternoon with Andrew. We appreciate that so much. If there are any any questions we might have or for further discussion, we've got a few minutes to that as well. Give everybody an opportunity. I would hope that someone would just say Amen and let me go. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> um we're so thankful for what you had to share in so many ways. Uh, we're we're indebted to you for that. Uh, we'll, we will take this opportunity to uh, have a, a few minutes of uh, break and a, uh, a chance to uh, get up and, and, uh, and visit a little bit more. And uh, Wes will kick off our next session about 15 or 20 minutes. The whole it, was well, it was to me, so uh, so There were some. I'm so the camera You, know you a so yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's grab you. And yeah, I know. I like you. It's it's pick me up. Yeah, Mike. I again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 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 been Thank you. 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 You guys thank great. you, thank you, thank, much. Much. thank you. Um, Appreciate that, brother John. I didn't know about sister John. No, so, well, mm. when you <coughs> someone's been with you for 38 years, mm. can't 30, 30 imagine. 38, know. years, and we, the ironic, it was, it was, it was <laughs> breast cancer. Six weeks before that, she'd be taking a mammogram and it was yeah. clear. Okay. Mm. Same with them. But it's a, Same it way. was a cancer that only affects black females, and mm. there's no cure mm. for And her lymph mm. ruptured, mm. mm. and so the cancer was in lymph nodes. but, but so, so God, so God so is good. God that. is good. Mm. Like I said, Amen. I went through that yes. for a long time, but God yes. brought Joe in my life, and. Amen. and I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Is good so James? He's, he's, he's using your mind because Morris Jones. Okay. Uh, Morris, uh, and, uh, it professional city and are Oh, man, good to you Good, appreciate it, You know what I was thinking about when we were, and that was that time really tough times. I was thinking about his wife. I'm telling you, you use that, that's a good so we redid it so it has been right. uh, we just keep on redid it, it prepainted that was painted the bridge because you don't know